Welcome to the 66 Letters. This is my first podcast, but not my first time to teach the word. There will be many more to come. Thank you for tuning in for the debut of the 66 Letters. Welcome to today's podcast called Is It Worth It? Today we'll be talking on value, the cost, and determining if all of it is worth it. Please join me in prayer. Father God, in today's times, it is normal to question if something is worth it. If I drive two hours for a 15-minute event and drive back, it's not worth it. If I spend $20 on a water bottle at the Dallas Cowboys game and they lose it, is it worth it? Regardless of the secular quandaries that have us evaluating worth, you declared there were some worthy pursuits and you called us to count the cost. May we always seek you at all times because you are worthy. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Luke 14.25 and I'll give you a story while you turn to that. So the story of a carpenter. He'd been working for the same guy for 20 years and it was retirement time. Um, the owner ended up asking him to work one more job, just one more job he pleaded. And the carpenter reluctantly said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll work the one more job. So the owner said, hey, here's your budget, and anything that is left over from the budget is yours. Uh, so imagine the surprise of the carpenter thinking, well, as long as there is money left over, I get even more retirement. That's awesome. So what he ends up doing is uh, he chooses really um, compromised parts. He cut corners. He didn't get uh, the treated wood. He just got the cheapest wood. He didn't frame like he was supposed to. Uh, He didn't make sure that the foundation was even level uh, to ensure that there would be longevity for the house. Now, as the man was finishing up the project, he noticed that there was a lot of money left for uh, what was in the budget. So he was getting pretty excited. He's about to hit retirement. He's about to have tens of thousands of dollars because he, you know, he was able to cut costs um, and a lot of work he even did himself. So that way he didn't have to to contract out. And so, uh, so he calls the owner up and he says, hey, I finished that last house. Um, I'll meet you at the house so you can see it. And the the owner said, that sounds great. And so he shows up, the owner shows up, and they go through the house. And, and, you know, as far as the appearance of the house, things looked good. Uh, Things looked like they were well built. Of course, the inside was not so good because uh, the the carpenter didn't consider it worth his time to do this final job. He just thought, I'm going to do the job as quickly as possible, get as much money out of it as I can and go on to retire for my family. What he didn't expect is that after uh, looking at the house, the owner turned around and handed him the keys and said, congratulations, buddy. This is part of your retirement for me. The house is yours. And instantly the carpenter began to think of all the corners he had cut. He began to think of how it wasn't worth his time to give his best effort into the house. And now because he had not cut counted the cost, because he did not find the task worthy enough, he now was left with second rate option for a house that had a strong, uh, had a, a incorrect foundation and messed up in innards. 
And I share this story because we're going to be talking today about counting the cost and trying to discern what is worth it. Now, assuming you're there at Luke 14, 25, I'm going to get us started. It says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, and even his life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. <laughs> or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 men? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now in the story I shared about the carpenter, he didn't find the task worthy of his time. And as I already said, he cut the corners. He greedily saved all the money for himself that he could. But what ended up happening is he hurt himself and his family in the end. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Some examples of that would be, you know, there's a there's a deadline for work that you have to get and you know what the quality of the report is supposed to be, but you figure, you know, maybe I'll just fudge some numbers. Uh, maybe I'll just uh, do some quick calculations off the top of my head and they're not entirely accurate, which then ends up hurting the business, which then ends up hurting you because you're the one that did the report. Or maybe you can think of a time where you were working towards a goal and you decided that you weren't willing to put in the full effort. And so you put in a partial effort and maybe even still today, you're still trying to obtain that goal because you still haven't put in the full effort. How many times would you continue to find yourself cutting corners, being greedy and hurting yourself? I know for me, I didn't find it worth my time to heal properly as a teenager. I would get hurt. And by hurt, I mean injured. I would break joints, tear ligaments, hurt my spine multiple times, but I never gave it the proper time to heal. I was willing to give it just enough time so that the pain wasn't too unbearable. And then I would continue to play sports. I would continue to lift. I would continue to run around and wrestle and do things that just continued to tear me down. Now I'm stuck with a body that's 33 years chronologically. However, it's the body of a 70-year-old due to all the arthritis and all of the issues that ensued. So what is Jesus talking about in this passage? If we go back and reread it, it says you have to hate your family. Hate your family. Now, I do want to say he's, <laughs> he's not saying that you should go out and be hostile to your family. You should not you know, walk around the house, punching them in the face. That's not what he's saying here. What he's doing is creating a dichotomy of either you love me and hate your family, 
or you love your family and you hate me, there is no in-between. We see an example of this when Jesus himself is talking in Nazareth and someone approaches him and they say, hey, your father, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And, and Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he turns to the entire crowd and he goes, this, this is my family. Next thing he asks is to bear your cross. Now, of course, this isn't the first time that we've heard this. Now, we've heard it in earlier in Luke 9.23. But if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily. We read this in all the Gospels of bearing your cross. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty dang miserable to bear my cross. First off, the cross was heavy. Sometimes they would have you only carry the part that goes across the post of the cross. That in and of itself still weighed somewhere between 75 to 90 pounds. Not only that, but the cross was rough textured. It's not like getting to carry a, 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 smooth, a smooth box that's been sanded down and polished. It's something that's going to rip at your skin, going to tear into the muscle and Jesus is saying, you got to be willing to bear your cross. So hate your family and bear your cross. And if that's not enough, Jesus says, you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost or you'll be mocked. One of the, the greatest examples that I think about when it comes to not counting the cost is uh, the Cowboys Stadium, the original Cowboys Stadium in Arlington. It's got a big hole in the ceiling. Why? Because they ran out of budget. They clearly did not count the cost. And so they had a stadium that was intended to be enclosed that was outdoor all the time and looked kind of goofy. I think of another friend that they didn't budget properly when they were trying to build their home. And what ended up happening is... Uh, Truly, about three quarters of their room, of their uh, of their house got built. Uh, they still had the kitchen unfinished, the living room still unfinished, and the garage. Imagine not counting the cost and then running out of the budget. Imagine the shame, the humility, and the frustration that would come with that. And so Jesus is saying, count the cost. Notice some other things that are mentioned. What if a king were to go to war against another king? I use a different example and I think, man, what if a king of 500 troops unknowingly sent his, his army against a, a, an army of 10,000? How quickly would they be slain and how easily would it be for the 10,000 to then overtake the kingdom? The king has much responsibility and Jesus is telling us we have much responsibility to consider the cost. So let me ask you this. Do you consider Jesus to be worthy of the cross? And that's rhetorical. God already knows the intent of your heart. There's a story of a boy, and by boy I mean a young man who was in college. Now whether the story is true or whether it's just for illustrative purposes, I don't know. But it certainly drives home the point. His professor decided that... Everyone was going to get a donut that day. 
Uh, the first thing he did, though, is he pulled aside the, the, the young man and he said, Joe, I'm going to offer everyone a donut. But before everyone can have a donut, I need you to do 10 push-ups for each person. And of course, Joe doesn't think the 10 push-ups is that many. I mean, most of us maybe wouldn't think that 10 push-ups is that many. However, what Joe didn't think about was how many students were in the class, which would add up to a lot of push-ups. So the professor gets in front of the class and he says, I have a donut for you, but before you can have your donut, Joe has to do 10 push-ups for you. Of course, not really thinking anything of the sacrifice on Joe's part, the first row instantly took their donuts. And already, Joe had kicked out 100 push-ups. The second row then was able to go, and the first person said, you know what? I see he's getting tired. I don't want my donut. And the professor said, well, unfortunately, that's not how this works. So Joe, even though Sally doesn't want her donut, will you still do 10 push-ups? And so Joe did 10 more push-ups, knowing that Sally wasn't even going to enjoy the fruit of his labor. This went on until he had reached some 300 push-ups, and there were still more students to come. At this point, they're begging the professor to make the thing stop. They're refusing the donuts. All the while, Joe is still kicking out the, the push-ups. Eventually, Joe collapses. And then the professor drives home the point of, this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He already did the work. He offers the gift. And whether you choose to do it or not, it does not take away from his sacrifice. In Colossians 1, 21 through 22, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach with him. Did you catch that? Hostile in mind, evil deeds. That means that you and I were the enemy of Christ before the cross. Romans says that there's not one good. Isaiah talks about how we all like sheep have strayed. But then we read John 3.16 that says, But Jesus loved the world in this way. He came to die on the cross, an innocent man for your sins, for my sins. So we have eternity with him. And God be glorified in this act of love. Let me repeat that. We were enemies. And yet Jesus left the comfort and the glory of heaven. He was born in poor conditions. He had to flee Egypt as a two-year-old. Eventually he was whipped and beaten. Falsely accused. Mocked and scorned. Died on the cross. He took on the wrath of God. And yet, it bewilders me that we, yes, me included, that we are still hesitant to find whether he is worthy or not. Do we really think the cost is too high? He gave up heaven and died a sinner's death. And yet when he says, I tell you, be willing to follow me no matter the cost, we can't even do that for our short time here on earth. He knew what would happen. He knew there would be those who would reject the gift. Just like what happened in the story with Joe and the donuts. 
He knew everything, and he still considered this venture to be worth it. Consider that. He knew that some would reject him anyways, and he died for them anyways because he thought it was worth it. So what's holding you back? Security? That's a tough one. We all like to feel secure. We all like to feel safe. We all like to feel stability because uncertainty and instability, it doesn't go well with the the human emotions. It doesn't go well with how our mind processes things. Think of how many times you feel that you're out of control and everything that you do to seek control. Well, Jesus is saying, I have control. Would you let go of everything else? Is it fear? What if you're wrong? What if Jesus isn't really who he said he was? What if you miss out on something really cool or really fun? I think a lot of us are familiar with the term FOMO, fear of missing out. If I follow Jesus, then I fear that I might miss out on some really awesome things that feel really, really good and make me really, really happy. But what we don't realize is that that fear, that fear is driving us away from eternity. It's driving us away from a true, authentic, loving relationship with Jesus Christ because we're, we have FOMO. Or maybe it's the approval of man. Maybe your parents aren't believers. Maybe your parents are believers of another religion. Maybe your siblings think that you're foolish to even consider that the Bible is true. That Jesus was real as God. That there actually is a God that loves you, that cares for you. A lot of times Christians these days are mocked for a belief in a God. For a belief in Jesus that he is actually the savior of the world and that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life, just as Jesus himself said in John 14, 6. And so because we're afraid of that disapproval, because we're afraid of someone mocking us or someone laughing at us or scorning us for a decision, we back away from following exactly as Jesus expects us to. Maybe another thing that's holding you back is You're just afraid of losing everything. The thing is, is that everything that you have really isn't yours. And you're sure as heck not going to take it with you to heaven. Job 121 says, Naked I came into this world, and naked I shall go. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you think you're going to lose something, I'm telling you right now, you're losing the greatest thing that exists, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, where you walk with him and you talk with him in this life and into the next. We're already living as believers, our eternal inheritance. We're already getting to experience communion with the Father. The only difference will be that when we die and we're no longer here on this earth, we finally get to be a part of true citizenship with heaven. Last thing I have to say is I hope you weigh the costs and I hope that you find him worthy. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. I hope you feel convicted, comforted, and connected by the Holy Spirit to not merely be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Again, I can be reached at the email in the bio. I will catch you all next week.